Issues Etc. is listener-supported. That means we rely on you for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Hi, this is Todd Wilkin. Please consider making a tax-deductible gift to Issues Etc. today. You can donate online, issuesetc.org, or by check. Make your check payable to Lutheran Public Radio and send it to LPR, Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for your support. You don't have to be dogmatic to reject that Zeus or Apollo or any of the other dead gods. I mean, we all reject these gods. We don't have to prove their absence. I mean, this is one of the, the fallacies of religious argumentation, the idea that the atheist has to prove the absence of God. Nobody's proved the absence of Zeus, and yet everyone's behaving as though the god of Abraham has a completely different status than, than these thousands of other dead gods, and, and he frankly doesn't. That's Sam Harris. He's considered one of the bright lights among the new atheists trying to make the case that we should lend no more credence to the biblical claims about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit than we would to Zeus or any of the other mythical gods. He calls them dead gods. Now, a flip side to this kind of argument is being popularized on the Internet, That, and it's actually a very old argument. We deal with it nonetheless. It's been revived and recycled for a modern and postmodern audience, saying that when it comes to Jesus in particular, his story, the basic outline of it, was copped from ancient mythologies, that the early followers of Jesus simply applied to him a storyline that was commonly known and commonly told as a fairy tale, a dying and rising God, a virgin birth, a miraculous life, a death, and a resurrection. Sounds plausible? And they can cite example after example in ancient mythology that they assert shows dying and rising God figures. Is this true? And how do we respond? I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Live this Tuesday afternoon, September the 8th. Greg Kokel joins us to respond to the mythical Jesus argument. You can join us as well, one 623 6943 Our in-studio email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Or if you're following us at Twitter, our address at Issues ETC. Greg Kokel is founder of Stand to Reason based in Signal Hill, California, author of the new book, Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. He's also written an article in the latest issue of the Solid Ground newsletter, Jesus, the Recycled Redeemer. Greg, welcome back. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me back. What's the basic argument being made here, uh, at least historically, uh, Kind of connect the dots for us, if you would, between these alleged dying and rising, sometimes even virgin-born God figures of mythology and what's being asserted about Jesus. You know, ironically, it's actually not a kind of – you said, uh, what's the basic argument historically? It's not really an historic argument. It's a, it's a literary argument when you think about it. And, and I'm glad you asked this question first, Todd, because it's great it, – the best way to go after these kind of issues – is to kind of listen to the complaint or the challenge and then try to condense it down to its basic elements. And so here's what we have. In general, the dispute entails a factual claim uh, that certain – this is a factual claim regarding literature – that certain mythical accounts uh, that predate the Gospels contain elements matching the details of Jesus' life. And it also entails a kind of a logical claim that the existence... So we have first, there's the fact of these things that predate Christ and parallel. Secondly, and what this proves is, the existence of the older accounts 
demonstrates that the account of Jesus is a myth just like these other things. And they've just cobbled together the bits and pieces of the old stories. And uh, so therefore, we don't need to take these these things seriously. Uh, the quote there from Sam Harris was, he was referring to the God of Israel um, and comparing him to, to Zeus. Um, and of course, this is the same line of thinking that many people, the zeitgeist crowd, for example, that you mentioned on the internet, uh, have taken with regards to Jesus. And I, I've heard, I heard this claim so many times. In fact, I was at uh, Purdue University earlier this year, and I had three different versions of this uh, challenge that came up during the Q&A with a, with a you know, a 1,200 student audience there. And so for some reason, this is really, really compelling to people. Uh, they read these things on the Internet. They, they think they see these profound parallels between these ancient mythical characters and the person of Jesus of Nazareth, and then they conclude, and I'm going to argue mis- that they conclude mistakenly in a few minutes, then they conclude that the account of Jesus is just like that. That's basically the, 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 the claim that they're making. Okay, let's let's then examine the facts, or at least the facts as they are asserted. Um, is it true that there are, uh, in some cases, they would say, startling parallels between the Jesus story and earlier, obviously mythical accounts? Okay, well, there's a couple of things just in the way – I know you did it on purpose, the way you cited that or the way you asked the question. But what's important here are those two things, aren't they? That there has to be relevant parallels, and they have to be earlier than Jesus in order to even – for us to even to be able to consider the challenge itself. It turns out, you know, most of these lists of things that they have – 12 disciples, born of a virgin, um, resurrected uh, from the dead – Let's see, born on December 25th, uh, you know, had, you know, betrayed by a friend. In most cases, these things are not features of the ancient uh, accounts of these dying and rising messiahs, um, like Attis or Krishna or Dionysus and Mithras or, or, or Osiris. These are some of the popular ones. I mean, there's no record, for example, that Osiris rose bodily from the dead. Uh, he became a, a god of the netherworld. He didn't rise from the dead. He he was uh, beaten up pretty badly, cut up into a bunch of pieces, you know, and then I think his mother gathered up the pieces, according to the legend, um, 13 pieces, and gathered all but one piece and put it together, which allowed him to, in a sense, raise from the dead in the netherworld. They became the, the god of the underworld, the, the spirit world, the place of the dead. Um, but that's not, a, that, that's not the kind of resurrection we see with Jesus. A lot of these gods uh, turn out to be gods that are tied to the agricultural cycle. And so as the story goes, when the fall comes around and the rains stop, the god dies. And then when the rains start coming again in the spring, lo and behold, the God who governs that must have been raised from the dead. So there's these kind of really generalized references to dying and rising, not actually coming a human being coming out of the grave, mind you, just this idea that their own God must have gone dormant or kind of quote-unquote died for a season, and then he comes back every every spring in this cyclical agricultural cycle that they were tied into. You can see when you compare that kind of account to the uh, to the to the detailed accounts of the life of Jesus of Nazareth and his death on a Roman cross 
and and let's grant them his alleged resurrection three days later, um, that, that this is nothing like what these other mythologies identify. Um, it, so the first real problem is is that the, the facts, the so-called facts of these ancient accounts, fail miserably to in a meaningful way, Todd, parallel the details of Jesus' life. You can strain, if you want to, and find some things when you check the primary source documents of those myths. You can find some kind of broad general parallels, arguably, but you don't get this kind of exact representation of the details of the life of Jesus and the details of the life of Osiris or Mithras or Krishna or Dionysus or some of these others that they have you know, advanced forward as candidates uh, for having a story having a literary relationship with the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And again, do do these accounts, I mean, in order for this argument to even bear serious consideration, uh, these accounts have to be prior to the the uh, the Jesus account. Well, well, that's the other part here. So, I mean, just dealing with the kind of factual claims that there has to be these significant parallels that come before the life of Jesus in order for the life of Jesus even to be a candidate for consideration of having copied these older things. Um, it turns out that not only are the parallels not there, but many of these accounts actually post-date the time of Jesus. Um, they, they, there is, there is uh, no evidence, for example, of the influence of Mithraism in the Roman Empire until the end of the first century AD. I mean, this is the, the, the literary evidence that we have. Um, the, um, the four texts that cite the resurrection of Adonis date from the second to the fourth centuries AD. Uh, the account of the miraculous birth of Zoroaster d- dates to the ninth century AD. So, you know, th- this on a factual basis, and there's, there are more problems with this claim, Todd, that we'll get to, but just on a simple factual basis, um, the, the, the parallels are not, don't seem to be meaningful when you actually, when you get off the internet and, and away from these guys who are promoting these ideas, and you go back to the primary source documents, which they say they're citing. All, these parallels just dry up, um, except for in very, very genu- general and inconsequential ways. And of course, the other problem is, it seems to me ax- axiomatic that, the, uh, that, the, that the, the account that you're stealing from, uh, you know, has to, has to predate uh, the one that you're, you're in, the case, in the case of Jesus, the, the, the Gospels. But many of these accounts actually post-date it. They come afterwards. So, they, so the Gospel writers certainly couldn't have stole from something that wasn't written yet. And those are two serious problems with this claim. We're talking with Greg Kokel responding to another popular assertion that Jesus of Nazareth was a mythical figure cobbled together. Maybe maybe somebody did exist by that name or close to that name, but later followers would have simply cobbled together his narrative, his story, his virgin birth, his death, and his resurrection from already existing myths that they knew of. We're responding to that with Greg Kokel, founder of Stand to Reason, based at Signal Hill, California. We're coming to you live this Tuesday afternoon. It's September the 8th. You can join us, one 623 6943 Talk back at issuesetc.org is our in-studio email address. And if you're following us at Twitter, our address, at issuesetc, at issuesetc. And the gospel writers appear, we'll talk about this when we come back, gospel writers appear to be dealing, at least as far as they can be, 
honestly with the account. The way they tell the story seems to be straightforward narrative with all the hallmarks of what we would call today history, the recording of history. They have place names, and dates, and people, and whole casts of characters. Not necessarily the kind of stuff that you would find if you were reading mythology. I'm Todd Wilkins. Stay tuned. More with Greg Kokel after this. Would you like to support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by making a regular, monthly, tax-deductible gift? We've made it easy for you to donate using automatic withdrawal. Simply fill out and mail the automatic billing authorization form under the donate page of our website, issuesetc.org. No more writing monthly checks or making monthly PayPal contributions. Issuesetc.org. Click donate and fill out and mail the automatic withdrawal form. Thanks for your support. Here's an easy way for you to publicize Issues Etc. at your church. Go to the Promote page of our website, issuesetc.org, and you'll find a short paragraph to include in your weekly church bulletin. Help inform your fellow parishioners about Issues Etc. Issuesetc.org. Click Promote and copy and paste the text for your church secretary or pastor to include each week in the Sunday Bulletin. We update this paragraph weekly. Go to the Promote page of our website, issuesetc.org. Others talk. We have something to say. You're listening to Issues Etc. Here's a new way to stay connected to Issues Etc. Check out our page on Facebook. Network with fellow Issues Etc. junkies. Sign up to become a fan, and we'll send you updates on future topics and guests. You'll even find photos of in-studio guests, Todd drinking chilada, and highlights from our one-year anniversary open house. You'll discover that Todd, Jeff, and Craig really do have faces for radio on Facebook. Issues Etc. on Facebook. Another way to stay connected to Issues Etc. Facebook.com slash Issues ETC. Have you heard of the CLCC, the Confessional Lutherans for Christ's Commission? We're deeply involved in providing seminars to build up Christ's Church with education and training for the laity. So far, we've held seminars on confessional topics at churches in Minnesota, Utah, Oregon, and Washington, and planning is underway to hold seminars in several other states coast-to-coast. Visit the CLCC.org. Check us out. Get on the mailing list, or better yet, join us. See how your church can host a seminar, too. Go to theclcc.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Greg Kokel is our guest. He's written an article in the latest issue of the Solid Ground newsletter titled Jesus, the Recycled Redeemer. You can receive Greg's free Solid Ground newsletter by calling them toll free. 1-800-2-REASON. 1-800-2-R-E-A-S-O-N. Or just look for a link to Stand to Reason under the on-demand page of our website, issuesetc.org. This email, related uh, email, from Sumner in Arnold, Missouri, for you, Greg. I think he's quoting from, uh, I think it must be uh, C.S. Lewis, if I'm not mistaken. One night in 1931, Tolkien and Hugo Dyson talked with Lewis, who knew well the northern myths, where Tolkien explained that that the Christ story is the myth that came true, quote, I have just passed from believing in God to definitely believing in Christ, in Christianity. My long night talk with Dyson and Tolkien had a good deal to do with it, writes Lewis. Your thoughts there on the myth that came true? 
Yeah, it's an, actually a very profound observation. Uh, uh, Lewis understood myth. He understood the genre, that these are fanciful stories that are artistically kind of written. They're gripping uh, stories that are fascinating, but they are meant to capture some significant truth about life. Um, so that's what a myth was. So it, it, in a sense, it, it's the story, the details are are not true, but the in a sense, there is a truth, if you will, about life that's carried in the myth. Uh, what Lewis observed is that here you have a story that is gripping and well-told that turns out to be more than, and it, and it touches on the, the most critical issue of life, and it turns out not to be a fiction. It turns out to be a fact. So it's almost as if he's, he, Lewis is saying that these other myths are pointing to the reality of the actual historical person that satisfies the things that these ancient myths were all pointing to, to, towards because they were written by people who understood the human condition. And that had a profound impact on him. It was one of the most powerful things that caused him to believe because he saw kind of built into these ancient myths a, a witness of sorts, uh, people's minds and hearts being prepared for the truth. And here then Jesus steps into history and satisfies that, uh, the, the, the hopes of all those myths. But it's clear, though, and, and Lewis makes the point, that the stories themselves, the accounts of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, are not themselves myths. They are not that genre. He says, I write that stuff. I know that stuff. I'm an expert in it. This isn't that. And many of us are familiar, obviously, with the opening words of the book of Luke, you know, about how Luke's saying, I, I'm undertaking to write an accurate account in, executive, in consecutive order so you can know the truth about the matter. So there's a strong statement that these guys, and there are other passages too, that these guys are writing history. But, but listen to this gripping prose here in chapter 3 of Luke. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was Tetrarch of I mean, dull stuff. Why is he going on with all of this stuff? It's because he is placing the life of Jesus squarely in the flow of history. He's not trying to tickle anybody's ears. He's saying this was a real guy who lived during a real time that coincided with the reigns of these people that he just described. So there's no mistaking the fact that he intends to be writing about flesh and blood history taking place right here on terra firma and not some mythological construct up in the heavens somewhere. Ken, listening in Orlando, Florida, writes, Isn't this argument illogical? Even if there are parallels with other stories, we would still have to take each account and weigh the historical evidence. None of those stories can stand up to the historical evidence of Christ, his life, and resurrection. Your thoughts there, Greg? This is a, this is a wonderful observation that makes me think maybe he read the whole article, because in the second half of the article, I point out that even if there, the, the characterizations of the myths were accurate, that Mithras was born of a virgin and Osiris was resurrected from the dead and Horus had a dozen disciples, etc., um, even if those facts were true about those myths, it proves nothing regard, regarding Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Just because just because there were uh, there were mythical accounts in the past does not mean there can't be a true account of those things with those details in the present or you know after those things happened you know there was a an art, uh, an, an, a novel written um, in 1898 by Morgan Robertson and I detail this in the uh, the article it's called futility and it was it was about a transatlantic voyage of a cruise ship Titan between England and New York that hit an iceberg and, and, and sunk 
And it's incredible how many of the details actually match what happened in history 14 years later uh, when the, the Titanic hit an iceberg and sank. And this tells us that just because there is a fiction beforehand doesn't mean the real thing can't actually happen. Now, how would you know? You have to look at the bona fides. You have to look at the evidences for the historical claims of the life of Jesus. And you can't simply assume that because there seem to be some parallels in the past, then this must be a fiction. I mean, imagine um, if you were... um, Todd, if you were introducing, you introduced yourself to a stranger, and you're sharing bits of your own autobiography, and he immediately labeled you a liar and an imposter. And the reason he said this is that in the past three months, 12 other phonies tried to pawn off the same, you know, Todd Wilkins story on him. And you say, wait, well, I'm the real guy. Look, at here's my ID. And he doesn't even look at it because he's already uh, assumed that you couldn't be the real McCoy. Now, you know, in addition to being offended, you'd probably be mystified because you can't, he can't prove you are lying about your identity by citing other people who lied about theirs. And that's the mistake that's being made here by these people who are dismissive of whatever historical evidence there may be to show that Jesus of Nazareth was a man of history and had these things characteristic of him, uh, and instead simply dismiss those ideas because they think they see parallels in the past, and therefore he's just a myth like the rest. That's a mistaken thinking, and your, your uh, emailer or caller from wherever it was, had a, he, he hit the nail right on the head. That is the most serious problem here. There's a logical difficulty, and this is something that even smart guys like Sam Harris don't realize they're, they're, uh, they're confronted with. One of the most important things you point out in your article is that the claim about Jesus' death and resurrection isn't simply an historical claim. There is a claim as to its meaning, its its salvific import, if yeah. you will, that this is, this is, it is claimed explicitly in the Gospels by Christ himself, later by his disciples commenting on these things, right. that this death was a an atonement for the sins of the world. And I don't think there is a parallel any place to no, that. There- No, that's a great observation. I mean, Jesus was a flesh-and-blood human being whose resurrection happened in history at a precise topographical location on Earth, and it had a very specific purpose. Jesus died as a vicarious sacrifice for sins. There is nothing like that at all in ancient history. And indeed, I I, uh, went to the source that is probably the, uh, the single best source on that issue. It's called The Riddle of the Resurrection by Turgiv Mettinger, and uh, it's the most it's almost a ponderous work because it covers all of those ancient guys, and he he makes the, he, he he makes a conclusion. Simply put, that there's no prima facie evidence that the death and resurrection of Jesus is a mythological construct that that is drawing on the myths and rites of the dying and rising gods of the surrounding world. People are just making a mistake when they try to do that, and this is probably the world's single best authority on the issue. He concludes that the faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus retains its unique character in the history of religions. It's not a copycat. Greg Kokel is founder of Stand to Reason, based in Signal Hill, California. He's author of the book Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. Greg also has written an article in the latest issue of the Solid Ground Newsletter titled Jesus, the Recycled Redeemer. Greg, thank you so much for being our guest. Great to talk with you again, Todd. Thanks so much. Tomorrow on Issues Etc., we'll have James White answer the question, does biblical inerrancy matter anymore? There are those who say it's 
passe. It's in the way of our evangelism, our mission. We need to drop it. We don't want to be fundamentalists after all. In fact, I think they're talking nowadays about something called a qualified inerrancy. Well, you see, it's either inerrant or it isn't. A qualified inerrancy doesn't mean inerrancy. It just means it's got some errors in there, but we'll call it inerrant just for the sake of argument. Hardly the inerrancy that we find both taught in Scripture and believed historically by the Christian Church. We'll see what James White has to say about it tomorrow on issues, etc. Oh, by the way, that that uh, qualified inerrancy, a very popular teaching nowadays, very popular, even in evangelical circles. We have in Jesus a claim. Let's let's not deal with even his disciples' claims. Let's just deal with the claim he himself makes, albeit through the voice of his disciples in their Gospels. He claims to be the one who would bear the sins of all the world. He claims that his death and his resurrection would happen. He claims that this would be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of all. Thereby, God would put to rest all of his wrath and his judgment upon a world of sinners. And he claims that those who take refuge in his death and resurrection alone will have eternal life, and they themselves will be raised on the last day. Now, St. Paul takes those words seriously, one of Jesus' disciples, because he takes the resurrection seriously. And when the Corinthians of his day begin to wonder whether or not Christians will indeed rise from the dead, he says, well, if they're not going to be raised, then Christ wasn't raised. That's how connected the two events must be. The historical resurrection of all flesh at the end of time must take place, for Christ has been raised. It's true. I'm Todd Wilkin. Talk with you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Lutheran Public Radio, P.O. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.